As a trans person, I, I was very well trained not to reveal that you're trans to any doctor, to avoid that because before the Affordable Care Act um, was passed, um, trans people could be discriminated against by insurance companies um, based on any little whiff of transgender identity. Um, and if it was considered a pre-existing condition, right? exactly. And it would be something that anything that was even rem like could possibly be connected to your endocrine system, which is, I don't know, kind of everything, right. Um, uh, that, or, or, and, or reproductive system, which is again, a lot of things, um, could be considered, um, connected to your trans care, right? So if I'm on hormone therapy and I, um, take you know, testosterone, and I have a problem with my ovaries, that's be they, they can make a connection that that's because I'm on this other right. care, and so I created it, and, or I'm trying to get rid of my ovaries because I just want trans care, and they don't cover trans care, and so they're just going to reject it immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, then, um, any marker that you're trans on your charts would, could possibly just kick back all the stuff in insurance. Hey, this is actually not a new episode. I'm sorry. This is an episode that I put out last year. Today happens to be Trans Day of Visibility. We happened to record this one on last year's Trans Day of Visibility, so I thought it was a good one to put out to mark the occasion. So much has changed since we recorded this episode in the world and in our personal lives. Lee recently welcomed a baby with his husband. How exciting is that? Congratulations. And also, you know, the world. And, uh, 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 okay. No, I'm not going to freak out about that this week. That's, I'm taking a break from that. Um, if you want to hear me freak out about that stuff, go back, listen to our recent episodes. Uh, we did an episode about the so-called Republican healthcare law, the American... See, I've already forgotten its name. Uh, <laughs> the AHCA, whatever that stood for. Did an episode about that, did, an ep did a couple of episodes talking about that, uh, and some other stuff what's going on, self-care, what have you. Since the last episode I put out, which I put out uh, right before they were supposed to vote on that, it turns out they did not. And theoretically, the bill is dead. Uh, we'll see what happens because apparently there's still some, oh, some goings-ons uh, with regard to health care. We'll see what happens. I just needed to take a break from that stuff this week. So yeah, if you want to go back and find those episodes, they are in your podcast feed. They are also at insignispod.com. Um, if you want more information about the stuff that is going on out there in the world this week with relation to illness, healthcare, disability, etc., check out our social media because there's there's always stuff on there. So at insignispod on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, I mean, those are the two that I'm updating the most. Also, uh, Instagram. Been Instagramming, too. Uh, so, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is one of my personal favorites. Lee is a treasure. And happy Trans Day of Visibility to all of my trans friends out there. I hope you're hanging in there, and uh, I will talk to you soon. 
Hey there, and welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas, and everyday uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing said on this show should ever be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I wish you a lot of luck. Every person is different, even within disease groups, so none of my guests should ever be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices, and unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes. Unsolicited medical advice is never not annoying. In today's episode, S. Lee Thompson talks about the hurdles to diagnosis as a trans person with complex health issues, healthcare insecurity, getting around the city with mobility issues, and navigating society with invisible disabilities. In the bonus episode, we talk intersectionality, spectrum of ability and access, disclosure, hormones, and the potential for allyship between the trans and disability communities. Not because we're the same, but because we have many shared issues that affect each community in similar ways. As always, find links to learn more about some of the things we talk about in today's episode in the show notes. Check us out at insicknesspod.com for other resources and more, and find us on social media at insicknesspod. You can find Lee online at sleethompson.com and on Twitter at sleethompson. If you can, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, which helps other people find the show. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I know that I've had experiences that date back to um, middle school, but really a lot of my stuff is, re- is retrospective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really started to struggle um, with mobility in 2000 and the beginning of 2007. And that's right when I was moving into the house that I currently live in, which is uh, four stories, brownstone, mm-hmm. um, and moving into the third and fourth floor and mostly had to move that stuff by myself. And all that physical up and down and up and down over the course of multiple days, I found myself waking up on January 1st and having really limited mobility. Um, and had Great never- way to start the new year. Exactly, right? <laughs> Big, beautiful new house, really excited to be there and not really being able to move up and down the stairs. Um, that was, you know, I ended up having to cancel going into work for a couple of days. Um, and my then uh, boyfriend ran to Dwayne Reed and bought me a cane. And that was the first time that I ever really considered that I might need some mobility device. But for some reason, it had been something that I'd actually even thought of before. Because there had been comments that my mom had arthritis, really bad arthritis. Um, and I knew that I had arthritis. Like I could feel the ache in, jo- in yeah. my joints um, at times. And so I knew that that was happening, um, but it was never like debilitating. It was an annoyance. Um, but this point in, in 2007, I realized, oh, this is bad. And it continued to plague me at times um, and settle into my spine where there'd be times where my back would go out because the swelling in my joints would cause misalignment. It would pinch a nerve. Everything would flare up. All the muscles would try to support and respond to it. So then it would just like kind of trade sides back and forth. 
Um, and that kind of continued on and on for a while. Um, and then this weird thing happened. I, I found a partner. I fell in love. And um, my, my partner, Charlie, moved in with me. And with that, I started to realize that the daily annoyances of living in my body were not normal <laughs> in that I was actually having to explain them to somebody on a daily basis. Yeah. Somebody who wasn't experiencing these same challenges with food, challenges with breathing, challenges with mobility. And I'd already talked to him about challenges with mobility early on, but not these other things. Mm -hmm. And so as I continued to like explain and explain and like kind of asterisk every single day, that I started realizing, wait, this isn't normal, right? This isn't the this isn't what other people are experiencing with their bodies. And that's when I started trying to figure out like what are some of these challenges that I'm coming with. So multiply like the the things that include like arthritis was like this very clear like disability moment. But I've also always struggled with my digestion. I've always struggled with um, respiratory stuff. Um, and I never thought of any of them as being connected with each other. Um, I also had all these other weird things. It just felt like immune system things, like um, you know, becoming immune to uh, medicines really, really quickly, mm -hmm. um, uh, like becoming immune to deodorant. Like I would use a deodorant. What happens to me? It drives me nuts. Really? Yeah, I would have to change my deodorant every day. Like, yeah. and I'd have like seven deodorants, and I would just do one one day, and the next day I'd have to use a different one. Well, that's one way to do it. Yeah, just to keep cycling, so I never would be able to just get immune to one of them until yeah. eventually one would stop working, and I'd throw that one out, and then I'd because of you know capitalism and mass marketing <laughs> there's always a new one around the bend that I could stick under my pits um, and so there were just these like weird things that just like kept popping up and at some point in time I started to think about what if they were connected what if they were interrelated and I don't even know how that really happened um, oh actually I do it's when I started realized when I looked up the difference between a sinus infection an upper respiratory infection and bronchitis because I'd had them so many times I used them interchangeably. And I was mm -hmm. just like, oh, I have a sinus infection. Yeah, actually, almost all of those times I had bronchitis. Oh, wow. um, and anytime I was like, upper respiratory infection, it's like, it's actually me coughing big chunks of things out of my lungs. Yeah. That's not upper respiratory, that's middle and lower yeah. respiratory. That's actually in my lungs. So when I looked, when I was looking that up, I learned that people who experience a lot of acid reflux are more likely to get bronchitis. Mm -hmm because of the, the, the wear of the esophageal lining from the, um, from the acid, it's gonna cause the possibility for infection. And that's when I started realizing those were, could possibly be connected. And then I started, like the, th the pieces just started to come together a little bit more of like, all of this feels like my body attacking itself. Mm -hmm. um, that these are like over responses to things that are not that significant. The, unfortunately for me, the story kind of dwindles out there um, because what I mostly know is maintenance, mm -hmm. management, um, hiding or not hiding certain types of, you know, you know, physical needs or, you know, what my experience is, whether or not I actually out myself as a person with disabilities or not. Um, what I really know is that the medical uh, community does not feel like it's been something that's been supportive of me mm -hmm. for most of my life and so it hasn't been a place where I've gone to seek answers um, only when absolutely like it's a place that I've gone for necessity but not for like clarity <laughs> um, and so now that these like more recent revelations um, 
have come to be. I, I know that I need to continue um, the process towards actual diagnosis, uh, but that is not something that I've actually achieved yet. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like at least that, that part of the story. The other aspect when it comes to necessarily like the medical community in me is that I'm a trans person, which means I was assigned female at birth, but live as a man and have for the last decade plus. Um, and that was going to the doctor for medical need, you know, going in and navigating um, the medical community in order to achieve, uh, receive access to um, hormone therapy um, and uh, eventually surgery and continued hormone therapy, which has a very specific type of care mm -hmm. um, that is very regimented, which means consistent going to a doctor. I was lucky in New York City to be able to go to Kellen Lord Community Healthcare Center, which is um, uh, an LGBT clinic in the city. And that clinic made it um, possible for me to see somebody who understood trans patients, um, who was really well versed in, um, in uh, you know, continuing like, or providing hormone therapy um, and was somebody I actually really liked seeing. And so I saw him for multiple years, particularly around that. When I started having other joint problems, he also supported me there. Long story short, he moved to LA not that long ago, and it's been hard to find somebody to fill his shoes. Um, Callan Lord, when that per person was there, was very helpful for me, but honestly, not every physician at Callan Lord is that guy. Right. So even though they got a very good plan to try to support trans um, and queer people in New York City, um, their actual physicians aren't necessarily always the most caring, supportive doctors, period. Even though they're there to do good things, right. um, they're over understaffed, overworked, um, and sometimes just in a rush, and it's hard to actually get to diagnosis and not just mm -hmm. treatment of the immediate. Um, and so any Which is true of every medical setting. I would, I would assume so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would, I, I would hope that like, you know, there's these, like we're in New York City, there's money everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Not everybody has it, but right. the people who do really have it. Yeah, lots so, of it. So there's like boutique-y doctor mm -hmm. things here where, um, but there is like, there are people who have some like ridiculously serious money and people who will do whatever the fuck they can for, mm -hmm. you know, for getting a piece of that. Um, so I'm assuming that there's places where people can have like, you know, hours to talk about like every particular ailment, but when you get like 15 minutes with a doctor, yeah, forget it. Um, it's also a thing that like as a trans person, I, I was very well trained not to reveal that you're trans to any doctor to avoid that because before the affordable care act, um, was passed, um, trans people could be discriminated against by insurance companies um, based on any little whiff of transgender identity. Um, and if it was considered a pre-existing condition. Right? Exactly. And it would be something that anything that was even rem like could possibly be connected to your endocrine system, which is, I don't know, kind of everything, right? Um, uh, that or, or and or reproductive system, which is again, a lot of things. Um, could be considered um, connected to your trans care, right? So if I'm on hormone therapy and I um, take, you know, testosterone and I have a problem with my ovaries, that's be they can make a connection that that's because I'm on this other right. care. And so I created it and, or I'm trying to get rid of my ovaries because I just want trans care and they don't cover trans care. And so they're just going to reject it immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, then um, any marker that you're trans on your charts 
would, could possibly just kick back all the stuff in insurance. Another th reason why Kelmore was so good is because they would make certain that they would not mark that stuff in your charts. Oh, and so that stuff didn't go out there. But when you go to another doctor, you just never know. Mm -hmm. And so it was, always a, it was always a gamble. Right. What do I really need? Is it important enough that I may actually get this marked in my chart that could actually start fucking me over in terms of my insurance in the future? Is it something that's so important that could uh, that could be? Um, is it so important that I could I could experience discrimination, um, you know, uh, bias and bigotry at a place where you're often most vulnerable? Mm -hmm. um, do I want to experience that today or kind of ever? Um, and so I, you know, like like most trans people, and then you know I, I would go to the doctor only when it was absolutely like a medical necessity when I was super sick and was actually afraid for my like you know existence um, but rarely because of discomfort mm -hmm. and then lastly I haven't had a consistent um, you know for for a number of years I haven't had consistent employment I've been a freelancer I've been working for small organizations that don't provide health care mm -hmm. um, been unemployed um, and in those periods of times haven't had health care that has felt um, secure right. and you know, growing up also in a position where healthcare wasn't secure, um, just it was like stay away from the doctor as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, things like diagnosis at times seem like a luxury, especially mm -hmm. when they're difficult. And the couple of times that I've actually tried to achieve diagnosis, the number of hoops I have to go through with the new doctor that I'm seeing because the doctor's continually recycling when I'm going to this clinic, there's a doctor that doesn't stay there for a full year. So when I start the process again with a new doctor, they want to weed all the old stuff out all over again, yeah. which means I have to go to this specialist here, and I have to go to this specialist here, and I have to bring this bag of poop to this doctor <laughs> here um, from my house on the train, which makes me wonder when I'm on the train, how many people <laughs> how are many in people? there? How many people have you ridden with on the subway in New York City? Secret bags of poop. <laughs> secret bags of poop. Because or jugs of urine. Exactly. Because yeah. somebody because apparently that's a requirement is you have to go home and do this and bring it in. Um, well, most people can't poop on command. So I I understand. I hear that. And I'd like it to be an option, but like right. honestly, let me try. Let yeah. me see what I can do. Maybe I can stop by when I'm feeling particularly ready. Um, Anyway, so yeah, the, the the amount of hurdles to get towards diagnosis have just been really challenging for me. I'm I'm hoping soon I can start again, mostly just to get so I can say I have a thing. Mm -hmm. So we can say it's a thing, not just yeah. like an undiagnosed autoimmune thing, thing, <laughs> but actually say a name would be yeah. great. Um, but I don't know, and and perhaps have a treatment that's not symptom like a symptom treatment, but something that's really a um, a like cure maybe maybe cure but probably not um but something that just feel like is more the, the yeah, source a holistic issue. Yeah. yeah um but in the meantime it's more about daily maintenance and how do you navigate the world when your body doesn't work the way that other people expect your body to work yeah yeah you said when we were on the phone that you got the message repeatedly as as you know growing up that getting a diagnosis would mean not having access to health care. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in relationship to that, my mom has had uh, uh, arthritis for most of her life. She marks it from the time she was 13 years old, teenager. Um, and she you know, gets really swollen joints, her feet swell up really big. Um, and she always told me never get a diagnosis. My mom works in insurance. Um, she works for a, a national insurance company, um, 
and she knows that insurance adjusters can, you know, see pre-existing condition and deny coverage for things. Or at least they used to be potentially could again in the future. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, ACA, and boo on anybody who's trying to remove the ACA. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it became this thing where it's like when when my joints were hurting, my mom would tell me, "You have arthritis. I have arthritis. You likely have arthritis. That's what's happening." never get diagnosed because if you do then it won't be covered on your insurance through a pre because it'll be listed as a pre-existing condition only get diagnosed if it's absolutely necessary and so it became this avoidant um, tactic of saying okay never talk about this never get it written down because somebody's going to pour through this at some point in time find that you that some doctor listed that you have arthritis and say we're not going to pay for all of these things mm -hmm which I still don't understand is how it was ever legal to do that. Um, Pregnancy was a pre-existing condition. Exactly. Like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like, okay, that's great, still need help, yeah. and that's your whole, like that's the whole point. It's not just like what might happen, it's what's happening right this second. Mm -hmm. um, so I have no idea, uh, I think it's the insurance model versus the healthcare model. Mm -hmm. Like insurance is like, we will ensure that something won't eventually happen to you. And if it does, you will be taken care of. Yeah. Healthcare is we will make certain that everybody has healthcare. Right. Two and those very are very different. Things. Exactly. There are different approaches that we use for the same thing because we're talking about insurance mm -hmm. as a pathway to healthcare. Well, I mean, here in the U.S., it's it's inextricably linked. Exactly. You know, you can't you can't talk about one without the other, which is unfortunate. But if we were talking about healthcare and about equal access to healthcare and not about, and like insurance companies were responsible for supporting that as the goal, then it would never be about restriction. It would mm -hmm. be about everybody trying to provide making that happen. But insurance is particularly about gambling. I mean, that's right. what it, it's, a, oh, absolutely. it's about gambling, it's about risk. I don't under, I need to look into like life insurance more because I don't understand how that model works. A hundred percent of the people are gonna die. <laughs> Yep. You know, because the whole point is like everybody pays into the system. Most people won't need the services. And so that money goes to cover the services for the people who wind up do needing it. But with life insurance, you're going to die. Yeah. I don't understand how that the works. The idea is when are you going to die? Right. So it's like if I start if I start paying into my life insurance policy now for like a $100,000 policy, right? And I'm still paying that premium. Mm -hmm. If I die next year, like <laughs> this is so morbid. Oh. I win, right? Because yeah. I or my family wins because right. they get a hundred thousand dollars, but they, I probably only paid like a thousand dollars into that premium, right. and which is probably even less than I could probably only ten dollars a month for a hundred thousand dollar policy or something at my age. Um, but if I pay on that for the next fifty years, insurance company can win because they're paying out in a different way and they're storing that money in some sort of savings yeah. and actually building you know, wealth off of it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But it's oh. still, like, it's this weird gamble, sense. yeah. And the other thing, I mean, with the Affordable Care Act, you know, there, there had been built into the law a provision that everyone would need to get coverage so that healthy people would, you know, be paying into it. And then mm -hmm. the Supreme Court struck down that provision. And now the insurance companies are like, oh, my God, we're spending so much money. All of the people who signed, who like now signed up for health insurance are costing us too much. But it's like, duh, 
yeah. you were excluding them before. One in two Americans have a chronic health condition. Wow, really? Yeah. I didn't know that was the number. Yeah, one in two American adults. You know, and that, that includes mental health and everything sure, like that. Sure, sure. Which That's it a lot should. Um, but, you know, acting surprised about this mm-hmm. is ridiculous to mm-hmm. me. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, people are sick. You know, and they were completely barred from getting coverage before. And now that they can get coverage, they're going to mm-hmm. because they're sick. Yeah. So I don't know. I, our whole system seems rather fundamentally unsustainable. To yes. Me. Yeah. I was going to use the term fucked up, but unsustainable works, works too. It <laughs> also works. Um, yeah. It's, it's, and that's the thing. It's like for me, it's been, um, I've I've not like grown up with doctors in the family, so I can't say like I've known a lot of doctors, right? I've known some, Um, but I don't know a lot of people who work, you know, as doctors. So I don't have like Mm -hmm. a lot of people who like could help me put a humanizing face on what for me has been um, some very um, cold inner uh, interactions with the human component of a very cold and um and antiquated system Mm -hmm. um that continues to function to churn out um really uh substandard care for for most people yeah um i i don't it's not a system that i'm interested in continuing to throw myself in Um, and especially as somebody who has a condition that seems like it's at least rare enough that doctors aren't like oh clearly it's this when i walk in um, and You'd be surprised yeah. at how often they miss very obvious things. And but, I would hope that that's the case. But on the other hand, you're totally fucked if it's a rare condition. Yeah, well, I'm saying it's like at least what it happened is like it's it's multiple symptomatic, right? right. right. It's like if I was just going in for arthritis, I'll say it's arthritis. But right. this is something that at least I'm, you know, again, not a doctor by any means. Uh, myself, uh, it's very clear to, it, for me, in the experience in my body, it's very clear that these things are linked mm-hmm. in some way. And if that's the case... Um, it's more challenging than just if it was one particular symptom that I was yeah. that I was dealing with, or one particular smaller ailment that only came out with one symptom. Because um, you have multiple body systems involved, and because our specialties are so siloed, it's impossible. I mean, I was seeing six different doctors in a single practice, and they couldn't even like talk to each like it was helpful that they were all working off of the same medical record Mm. but beyond that I I what I thought was an ideal situation was just like the same as everywhere else yeah just like really frustrating and disheartening yeah and it's like you if you can't get like (laughs) like our bodies are all working together to churn out illness, <laughs> like, or I mean, or I guess other things are churning together, but we're like, we're, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the human, like, I don't know, it's all human components, I guess, but like the, the person component, like we can't be interacting with each other to right. figure this stuff out. Right. It's also funny that for me, and I'm, and I'm certain like doctors every day get people coming and it's like, I'm certain, I read this thing on the internet. I'm certain that I have this health problem. And, like, I can't tell you how many eye rolls I get when I tell people stuff about what's going on with me, mm-hmm. especially when I continue to see new doctors again and again and again. But when people don't listen to a patient when they're telling you about their experience of their own body. Right. They live here. 
They are the expert, like you might be the expert in medicine, but they are the expert in living inside of this body. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I have, you know, 37 years experience on my body. Mm -hmm. This person has five minutes experience <laughs> on this body. Um, they probably don't even know my name without looking at the chart. The last person I saw, oh my gosh, it was so, in, it was so infuriating. I went into this doctor and I was finally like, okay, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this stuff. I'm gonna get this taken care of because I let it, I let it dwindle the last time because I was going through so many hoops and I got really frustrated. And now I've got this whole brand new doctor because that other person's not around anymore. And so I'm a whole new doctor and I'm gonna start again with this PCP and get to the bottom of these things. And so I go in because I'm experiencing some stuff and I wanted to tell her about all the symptoms that I was dealing with and, um, and that I wanted to get tested to see what the problems were, particularly around my digestion because it was getting to the point where I was having difficulty eating anything. Mm. Um, and you know, fasting for multiple weeks at a time and just you know, feeling miserable. Um, and so I went to this doctor and I was telling her, well, I'm having this, you know, these symptoms. I'm like, and I really wanna to talk to you about like these kind of four things. She's like, well, what do you need today? Right for you to answer these questions first off. Um, and, but she didn't tell me like, we will, like I can do this for you now because this is like a, an introductory visit mm -hmm. and then we'll schedule a visit for this other thing. She didn't tell me that and that would have been helpful. Um, but she just, when I told her that like, I'm, I think I might have asthma, I have definitely other respiratory problems. I get bronchitis pretty consistent. She's like, well, a lot of people think that they have asthma. Because a lot of people do. It's like, well, thank you. Thank you that a lot of people have that. Maybe they're right too. Yeah. Like, listen to me talking Especially, to you Especially, you know, in a major city where we know that asthma rates are sky high. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no reason to assume that a person doesn't have asthma. <laughs> exactly. And especially when I talk about, like, like I was diagnosed with asthma in sixth grade. Right. Especially when they have a diagnosis <laughs> of asthma. Yeah. And then... I'm trying to explain to her like these other symptoms that I'm having and she's continued to dismiss all of them and give me these eye rolls of like the person who's like either a hypochondriac or self trying to self-diagnosis and and it was so frustrating and then she gave me like the worst phone call that it, that a healthcare practitioner could ever give somebody where she told me we're gonna take some blood um, we'll schedule another visit I will only call you if something comes up you know, otherwise, just assume everything's normal. Great. Of course, I get a phone call at like eight o'clock at night. Eight o'clock at night. That's not a good time to make that phone call. When I'm at a bar, um, <laughs> having a drink, and I see that I have a voice message, so I must miss the call. And my friend's in the bathroom, so I'm like, I'll check it real quick. And the call, the voice message goes something like this. Yeah, hi, Lee. This is um, Doctor So and So. Uh, I just got your test results back and you should call me as soon as you can. Oh um, you should call me. Um, I'm going to be here until nine. Um, so yeah, um, everything, everything's fine. Everything's normal. <laughs> I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? You don't put a 30 second mm -hmm. introduction to everything's fine. Right. When you give somebody- that includes call me as soon as you can. What the fuck? I'm like, that, that's like such a mind fuck, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so, and especially when I went in because I was worried about all of these things, to get a phone call where the persons can't just get to everything's fine. Now I understand she's possibly overworked and could be like flipping for the paper paperwork because she made the phone call before she was ready to actually make mm -hmm. the statement. Okay, I get it, still shitty. 
Yeah. Still a shitty thing to do, yeah. right? Don't do that. Right. Um, and then I have to, so then I go back to the same doctor because I'm like, I'm trying to commit to staying to a doctor. I want to try to make this relationship work. I don't want to see a new person tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I go to my next appointment with her and I sit down. I say, look, I just need to talk to you for a second. Like, can we just have a conversation? Because I felt like our last interaction was pretty cold, and I felt like you dismissed a lot of my worries. I didn't even talk to her about the phone call because I figured I can address one thing at a time. Right. Um, and, you know, that's how she wanted to treat me. That's how I'm going to treat her. like, we'll address one problem right now. And that's the way, like, you dismissed a lot of my concerns, and she shut down, and she's like, well, I, I, I answered that question. I answered that question. I'm like, okay, I hear you saying that you thought, think you did. I'm telling you that, that I didn't feel that that was answered. I'm telling you I didn't feel like you really were listening to me mm-hmm. and that it really is harmful for our relationship and I really want to make this work and I really want us to like you know for me to be able to become healthy in your care um, and so maybe we could start off again but in like a conversation um, because you know I'm a facilitator and that's the kind of work that I do right. and let me guess it's like yeah she hated that she gritted her teeth and by the end of the, the visit you know we kind of were getting moving forward in a way that felt um, like kind of a helpful, supportive, um, you know, like moving directly. So she she was shaking when she was taking my blood pressure before. By the end, she seemed like a little calm and cool. And I thanked her multiple times for listening to me. And she just kind of like dismissed the thank yous. Okay, fine, whatever. But I'm gonna thank her, anyways. Um, well, she she agreed to do three things: uh, provide me with an inhaler, um, schedule a uh, or give me a referral to a, a pulmonologist and um, give me a prescription for testosterone, which they have a pharmacy in-house. So all I technically would have had to do was walk downstairs. Mm -hmm. Um, Doesn't do any of those things. And it wasn't until I was leaving, I was like a couple blocks away that I got a phone call from the the doctor's office saying, oh, um, so sorry, I forgot to give you that prescription. It'll be here when you get back. Okay, fine. So I'm like, I'll just go back tomorrow. I'll pick it up and I'll have my other prescription there. Great. So I go back and I get the inhaler and I go to the pharmacy and I get the inhaler and I'm like, I'm supposed to have two prescriptions. They're like, no, you only have one here. So it's like, so she's not even doing the things that she's supposed to be doing. So what makes me want to actually go through all the hurdles? Like if I can't even get a competent doctor to do just what they're supposed to be doing anyways, how can I deal with all of the transphobia and all of the, um, the kind of just, it's, it's maddening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really disheartening. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, like, we, you know, my, my husband and I got married six months ago. It was really exciting. And he started a new job, and he has health insurance. And I'm a freelancer, so I don't have health insurance. But now I have on his health insurance, which is great. But I'm in this situation where I, we've been on, I've been on his insurance since the beginning of February. Mm-hmm. I've not made a single fucking phone call. Because the last thing I want to do is have to go back into the system yeah. and Tell start your again. story all over again. Be dismissed all over yep. again. And, you know, that's not even to say that you necessarily would be dismissed. Every once in a while, the doctor su- surprises sure, you. Sure, sure. You know, but I, I am going through something similar right now where, you know, I, my in, the insurance that I was on ended. And now I'm on... Medicaid and like uh, HMO through the state. Mm-hmm. So all of the doctors that I had before don't take that insurance. Yeah. All 12 or 13 of them. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in a position where I have to start all over, mm-hmm. all over again. 
And I, I actually, I found a primary care provider who seems wonderful. I've only seen her once, but going into that appointment was, I looked like I was preparing for war. The night mm-hmm. before, I was like getting all my records together, like making notes and, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, I get, I go a little like above and beyond, which is intimidating, I think, for a lot of medical professionals, because I come in with everything like post-it noted and annotated, and, like, mm-hmm. like super duper organized, because I know that if I just hand them a stack of paper, they're going to be like, uh, no, yeah. please leave. Um, so I have to like manage the situation in a really specific way that doesn't necessarily allow for me to be the patient. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be an advocate first and a patient second. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the best thing for my healthcare every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be much better if I could just go in and be like, I have a shit ton of things wrong with me. Want to hear about it? Yeah. And just be able to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, but because I've, I've had so many like negative experiences and so, so much trauma really mm-hmm. from, from that, going into new doctor's appointments and, and scheduling new doctor's appointments and looking for new doctors. Mm-hmm. And it's just an absolute nightmare. It really is. And I mean, it's one of those things that, that is, especially for people with significant, like with chronic illnesses, um, it's, it's ta- these like dehumanizing, like, experiences are tacked onto a daily onslaught of dehumanizing experiences in the world, right? right? Outside of the doctor's office, and right? Dehuman, like dehumanizing experiences inside of your own body. Exactly, right? Where yeah. you're just consistently coming up against challenge after challenge after challenge, barrier after barrier after barrier, that to then go to a place that we're supposed to be getting care mm-hmm. and not receiving that, a place where we're like actually supposed to be able to be a little vulnerable, mm-hmm. like we have to take our damn clothes, you know? <laughs> like yeah. we have to let people touch and prod and poke on things that we're not supposed to have people around us, right? right. Um, it, it, any, it, any intimacy at that level, we're supposed to tell them all the things that are wrong with us, the things that hurt, the things that don't work right, mm-hmm. which are barriers that we've learned to, to hold on, like to, to guard ourselves against mm-hmm. the rest of the world. If they're not able to take care of us, what can we expect in the rest of the world? Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I was really concerned with the first time that I had to tell my, my, you know, at that time, new boyfriend that I think I may have to take a cane to this event. And I mean, he's a wonderful, beautiful person. So of course he was just like, great, that's mm-hmm. fabulous. Um, you know, what do we need? Like it's, you know. Does it have streamers? Exactly, you know. <laughs> um, so like that's, that's great. But you know, I had to like, the people that we have to go and engage with every mm-hmm. single day, like the coming out process of disability, the, um, the constant discussion. Like I used to say for a long time, like I never want to meet somebody unless I have my cane with me already. Because <laughs> then they're not going to ask me about it. Right. But if I have to bring it the next day, mm-hmm. they're going to ask me what happened, mm-hmm. which now is a fucking story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now it's like, I, you know, this, I've been lucky that I haven't needed it much in the last couple of um, months like much at all except for when I travel on a plane because ooh, pressurized cabin and swelling and unswelling and, and horrible 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 accommodations by airlines yep and, and moving and walking back and forth and back yeah. and forth and not being on your own schedule and all that stuff um like uh, I haven't needed to use my cane that much lately uh, which is fabulous but that means that at this office that I'm currently working at there's you know 50 some people who know me without a cane mm-hmm 
And I worry about the day that I have to show up with one. And like, and there's been days where I'm like, I'm just not going to go in because I don't hurt. I don't hurt enough to have to stay in bed. I hurt too much for for having to have that discussion 50 times. Yes, and that is such a good point. That like, when you're not feeling well and you're in pain and you're sick, having to have that in-depth conversation of what happened? Oh, nothing. I just stepped on something and my toe dislocated. What? That doesn't make any sense. And then having to like, like, well, I have this thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just not the time. It's yeah. not the time. Well, and people don't realize that they're actually probably the 10th person who's asked, right. right? And also, it's extremely intrusive and people have this, you know, um, sense of entitlement to know what's going on with your body, which yeah. is like, I'm, excuse me, do I ask you? Well, actually, I do ask people what's going on with their bodies, but... <laughs> kind of would be a weird podcast if you did it. It would be a weird podcast if I didn't. It's true. Yeah. Uh, the last, bri- I think it was a bridal shower that I went to, I got everybody like talking about their gross pregnancy stories, which actually turned into a, a lovely bonding love exercise. Love it. I love it. But, uh, but like, I do it in a way that I make people feel safe and I don't... I try not to make them feel like they have to talk about things that they're not necessarily comfortable talking about with a stranger. Sure. Whereas other people are just like, oh, what did you do? You're too young to have that. Oh my God, too young. I hate that one. It's like, I I think about that on the subway all the freaking time. When I like, I mean, New York City, it's hard not to think about ability, especially about mobility. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in a walking city. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we don't have cars. We travel with the stuff that we want to carry is we're holding it, mm-hmm. um, up and down stairs all the damn time yeah. from subway to subway. Well, I had to, I mean, there's no reason why I should have had, like, had to drive here today because I live, you know, up north of the city in the suburbs. I could just take public transit, but there's so many unexpected mm-hmm. Like, because I can't stand for very long, Mm -hmm. I'll pass out, I can't walk for very long, I can't this, I can't that. And, you know, theoretically, I should just be able to sit down on the train and take the train and then, you know, walk a block or two. Mm -hmm. But it's never that simple. Like, the elevators in subway stations are never working. Mm -hmm. It's just a total And even if they are, it's like a urine pool at the bottom of them. So it's at least, so maybe functional and disgusting. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I get this, and I mean, you know, I am a white, uh, appear appear able-bodied, Um, you know, man in my, you know, 30s. And I actually look younger than I am, right? Um, it's, you know, I, I usually, people usually read me from my early 30s and in my late 30s. Like, you know, not like significantly younger, but people don't see me as an older person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and would you get, where like all of these things say, give your seat to a pregnant woman, a, the elderly or the disabled. Mm-hmm. And I don't read as any of those three things. Right. So yesterday, I mean, and I also like one of the things that has been helping me move more consistently is that I go to a gym now. Like I'm actually forcing myself to work out. Even when things hurt, I'm like, I'm going to do what I can because one thing may hurt and I'll save that thing. I'll, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take care of my knees today. But if I move everything else out, it'll keep it from starting to hurt. Right. You know, maybe it'll keep. And that's one reason I haven't been needing a cane as much. But it doesn't mean that things don't hurt. Right. And so I was, you know, getting out of the gym yesterday. And I'm like, oh, 
hell. My, the, the swelling in my spine is significant. My back could go out at any moment. And when my back goes out, I am flat. Like mm -hmm. I will collapse on the ground and can't get up. And I'm like on the subway with this backpack and my boxing gloves. Boxing gloves being this big marker of like, I have all the ability, right. you know? Um, and I'm like hurting like hell and a seat opens up and I sit and it's right by me. So I don't have to like battle anybody to get it. And I sit down, but that's when this older person gets on the train and stands right in front of me. And I can just feel mm -hmm. this pressure and guilt being like, mm -hmm. I am supposed to get up for this person. And I don't know what this person's ability is. It could actually be a lot more than you. worse than mine. Or worse. And right. it could be a lot, like they could be a lot stronger than yeah. me. Like, I don't know. But it's like this pressure, but because they're older, mm -hmm. that's the marker. We can see mm -hmm. that they fit one of these three categories. Yeah. Um, not to mention just like, I'm supposed to give up my seat up for a woman because of sexism, right? Because of women being supposedly well, you know, weaker, we right? We can't stand for very, very long or... Exactly. Or we'll get the vapors, which actually is true of me. Yeah, that would, that's the thing, is that like, it's this idea that just, you know, that I'm, like, I don't fit these, these markers of ability, and so I don't get the seat. And so then I have to stand on the train. And for me, standing is also really bad, right? Like, walking is usually a little bit easier than standing. Yeah, because the muscles in your legs actually send the blood back up. Yeah. Otherwise, a pool. That's why I had to put my feet up while we're yeah. sitting here. That's why I'm swinging my feet all yeah. the time. I remember at a meeting years ago, I was on the staff, and this boss of mine at a social justice organization, you've got to say, just for the record, social justice organization staffs are not always well, um, as awesome as the organizations there's, work. There's some problems within the progressive movement of completely and utterly ignoring ableism. Oh, yeah. And I was, like, I was, um, you know, uh, moving my legs back and forth um, and kind of, uh, you know, sh like, what was I, it was, oh, I was swinging my seat around. Mm -hmm. And I was just helping keep the blood flow a little bit in my back and in my knees. And eventually he just literally stops my chair, like grabs onto my chair and stops it. And he's like, can you stop that? And I'm like, actually, I can't. Let me tell you why. And I have to go into this whole explanation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just this thing where it's like, you know, you, you're expected to stand on a subway and then walk upstairs and then walk for big periods of time. Um, and then you come into spaces where people are expecting you to be, you know, too old, you know, too young to, you know, be walking with a cane or too young to have hurt bodies. And then they expect that now you have to explain why. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can appreciate to some extent the impetus to see like a cast on someone's arm and say, oh, what happened? Like. But when I get the what happened, it's not, it's not actually a question I can answer, right? right? Like that's, I remember getting this long conversation with somebody who's like, why do you get so frustrated by that question? I'm like, well, because A, it's not the first time I've gotten it. Mm -hmm. B, it's because I can't actually ever answer that question because it's, like, it's, it's a question that assumes mm -hmm. the wrong thing. It assumes able-bodiedness and that as of this moment, right. something changed. Yeah. And that it happened, that a thing happened as opposed to this is a condition or this is me. I also get the question, are you okay? And the answer that I, like, well, first off, like, on what sphere are you right. asking this question? Can you be a little bit more specific? So a lot of times when I don't want to answer them, I just say yes. And then I just keep talking about other things. Yeah. You know, I'm like, if you're going to ask me that, I don't want to talk to you. If, some, if someone really wants to get into conversation, I'm like, look, I got a lot of shit going on. Mm -hmm. and, like, and a lot of times, like, my most painful moments aren't things you're going to see. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we have in our culture such a specific, incorrect idea about what a disabled person looks like. Mm -hmm. And 
the vast majority of disabled people do not conform to that image. I mean, even most wheelchair users are not full-time wheelchair users, mm -hmm. you know? But if you're not in a wheelchair forever, at all times, you're not disabled. Exactly, or you're, you're just, working the system, which is another, like... Oh, don't even get me started yeah. on that one. Like, yeah. do you have any idea how hard the system is? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any idea? I ju just this week finally submitted my application for disability. I left my job a year ago, and it's, ta it's taken me this long to finally do it and get it in because, like, first of all, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, it's not particularly accessible for mm -hmm. people who have a hard time sitting on the computer for any length of time. Although I did just talk to somebody in the UK last week and their application is 50 pages long and entirely on paper. So we at least have that advantage. But also, um, sometimes my most productive hours are in the middle of the night because my sleep phase is off. But the website goes offline after 11 p.m. for maintenance. What? Every yes. night? Every, every night that I tried, it was like, oh, sorry, check back again later. What? Yeah. Yeah, so oh. I could have gotten it done much qu more quickly if it was available during the time frame that is most productive for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's like, you know, navig like this is one of those things where it's like we, we when I... When I'm when I'm working with because I, I so I work on issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity, um, which is essentially to say like I talk to people a lot about power, privilege, and oppression. Like that's my whole job. You must be busy lately. <laughs> yeah, because oppression just started. Right. Um, <laughs> luckily, people no are, white yeah. people just found out about it. Yeah, exactly right. Um, it's like we're finally getting to the place where people are wanting to have more conversations, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's know, definitely a good thing. It's just a little cartoonish it right is, now. It's, yeah, it is. It's it, like we, we Columbus racism. Um, but uh, so, you know, like I'm always in this space where I'm supposed to be opening people's consciousness about the way that oppression plays out. And people at least like who the spaces that I'm in, the, the groups that I'm working with at least know that racism is a thing, right? They can right. understand it, even if they're ex ex even if they're only understanding it in like exactly pre-civil rights about. stuff, yeah. right? Um, they might understand that sexism is a thing, even if they understand it in again like 1960s style sexism, right? Um, like pre you know pre um, uh, women's movement stuff. They might understand heterosexism. They may understand like issues around um, immigration. But when it comes to ableism, forget it. And the language is so strong. Um, and when I start to talk to people about how we are respectful of our bodies, of each other's bodies, um, it, it usually goes beyond people. Like it goes from like expanding people's consciousness, to, like throwing a you know nuclear keg in the middle of it, and like things explode because people just can't understand all that stuff. Yeah. People don't like to talk about ableism and get so upset when you bring up ableism because they don't want to f feel like they've done something wrong oh, yeah. and they were ableist. And I'm like, yeah. Exactly that. That doesn't mean it's not ableist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so that's the thing, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's something that I, that I come up with all the time. Um, that one of the biggest hurdles to people actually uncovering um, their internalized uh, kind of oppressor is the fear and worry um, of being seen as fallible. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and we, especially in the United States, have this real strong, um, uh, like, We're chosen urge, by God. Right? Like, there's, there's, there's a myth of individualism, mm -hmm. right? That we live as individual things that are completely unique to everything else, that is not impacted by other things, but that we are, like, completely autonomous. That if we are really good, we will do all of this work by ourselves and succeed by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we will be better than other things. People, but we don't need other people. We can do it all on our own. Pull one one person pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah. It's already an ableist Which story. Is so nonsense because if you use if you use roads, like that just sure. blows that whole thing up. Sure, sure. You know. I mean, if you talk to another person, like we don't live in a vacuum. We are right. always um, the culture that is created is always in reflection and in response to everything we've ever known and every person we've ever talked to and every image we've ever seen. But this idea that we like are these, you know, these completely autonomous and separate beings that move through space, um, that means that like what we think and what we intend is way more important than the impact it has on other people. Right. And so when I'm in these workshops that I do, like I'm always working about working with people to try to get them to understand the difference between intent and impact mm -hmm. and the relationship between the two mm -hmm. um, because there's so much discrepancy between between them and people don't most people do not want to be jerks right they're not <laughs> ableist because they're like i really hate all those disabled people right although <laughs> Those people exist. They do exist. I will definitely acknowledge that those people exist and do not want to um, deny people um, their real and true lived experiences of having to battle those assholes because they exist. Um, but there are people, like most of the people in the world, like think that they're good people mm -hmm. and they actually kind of are like, oh yeah, like, you know, I, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, but they don't realize that A, they're doing it. Right. And by not getting the information, you're actually even more apt to do it. Mm -hmm. And because we are always trying to guard ourselves, guard, are always working to guard ourselves against being seen as fallible, we can never actually get to the point where we can actually become better mm -hmm. because we're not willing to accept criticism mm -hmm. um, around able Which, it, it, like if we just quickly jump back to your story about that doctor that mm -hmm. is you know you pointed out that like the way that she approached the situation was not particularly helpful for you and here's a way that we can move forward that might be a little bit better for both of us and she just shut down mm -hmm. she shut down and she continued to shut me down right and so if her intent was care she did not. She did not have that impact on me. She can say everything about every intention that she had. That's great, and it's great to know that she wasn't intending to do me harm. Right. But that the the impact that it had on me was not careful. Uh -huh. I did not feel cared for. Uh -huh. um, I did not experience anything that actually resembled care by the end of that. Um, and so maybe I'm just oversensitive, um, but it doesn't matter. Like her right. intent is so disconnected from the impact, then something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I can do as an individual is say, okay, well, I should just not worry about how it impacted me, which is usually the expectation. Mm -hmm. And so people who who have disabilities in the United States, like we're, well, not just in the United States, in the world, but uh, I talk about, you know, U.S. culture a lot um, because, hey, it's a country I live in. Um, that we're always expected to just uh, brush off the impact. But when you have a disability, the brush off doesn't happen so easily. Because mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff wears on our bodies, mm -hmm. it wears on our minds. Um, 
And it's cumulative. Exactly. Exactly. The effect of it is cumulative. And like we were already talking about, to have to explain to 10 different people in one day what's wrong when that is not a simple answer mm -hmm. is exhausting. So, so one of the things that I've talked to people about before with this is that if you, is first off, like if you, do, do you, like I'll ask people, do you think that um, being in a stressful situation can be as exhausting as doing some sort of physical workout. And most people say, yeah, like, you know, when you're really stressed out at work, like you, you come home tired every single day. And if you're not as stressed, that you may not be as exhausted. So you come home tired every single day. And if you were, you know, lifting weights or running, you know, on the, the treadmill, you may come home exhausted every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they can equate that like stress an emotion, stress. stress can actually cause like physical, um, a physical reaction to it. Like we can understand that. Okay, great. And then I say like, is like, if you're coming up against a challenge every single day that continues to be stressful, could we say that that would be the, the equivalent of every single time you walk, you know, like every time you get up from your couch, you have to lift up a big weight and move it and then go to the bathroom and then come back and lift a big weight and put it back down again. Like that would eventually become cumulatively difficult mm -hmm. and you would be more tired from that exertion. If you have to do that every single day of your life, you're gonna, it, it wears on the psyche. Mm -hmm. We eventually get broken down to saying, I'm not, don't wanna interact with other people. I don't wanna talk to people about this at all. <laughs> um, I don't wanna deal with it. I don't wanna go to that space because I'm gonna have to fight. I mean, I can't tell you, like for the last couple of years, I have not been going to events. Um, I used to go to these events all the time. And then I realized like, I'm going to fight for a chair. I'm going to get there early to get a chair. I'm going to explain to people why I need the chair and they don't need the chair and to get the heck out of the chair. I went to an event to support a friend recently and I didn't realize it was going to be as crowded as it was. Mm -hmm. And it was packed. It was standing room only. And I set my bag down and I'm just like, okay, I think I'm going to be sitting on my bag in the back of the room. And then actually what I ended up doing is saying, I'm gonna actually just get a drink and just tell my friend it was great to see you and not actually watch the event. Because yeah. I just, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, it was great because at, you know, at the break when I told them like, I'm sorry I wasn't able to really see it. I couldn't find a seat and I you know, just wasn't feeling that great to stand the entire time. And he apologized and made sure to find me a seat, which was great that I had an, an advocate and ally that was willing to support and help me in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I know that I didn't, I have the, will like I, I have like an understanding that I can go up to somebody and say can I please have this seat I actually need a seat like that is po a possibility my psyche was not going to allow it because I was tired right and it wasn't tired because of the times that day that that happened right. I was tired because of a lifetime of experiences of having to deal with people roll their eyes mm -hmm. or grit their teeth at me all, all, all of this without even acknowledging fatigue from your actual physical condition or if you yep. have yep. Uh, a condition that impacts your ability to communicate in mm -hmm. how like however many different ways that that can you know yeah. manifest it's just there's so many things yeah well thank you so much for talking to me this was great yeah i've had a really great time it's been a great conversation Good. thanks for for chatting with me yeah thanks for listening to in sickness and in health find resources and more from us at insicknesspod.com and on social media at insicknesspod check out today's bonus episode where we talk about intersectionality the spectrum of ability and access disclosure hormones and the potential for allyship between the trans and disability communities and don't forget to be excellent to your yourselves and each other.